Hello everyone, I'm Andres Vélez. And I'm Maximo Cabillet. We are the Pearson Scoop, the SA Fintech podcast, where we talk about all things fintech career. Welcome to our continuation of our series on ESF Fintech Internships. We're here with our guest, Carlo Camayora, to talk about his experience at InfoCell. We'll be diving into his motivations to go into the sector, the recruiting process, what he did there, and his reflections on the industry. Carlo, welcome and great to have you here. Hi, Maximo. Hi, Andres. How are you? Nice to be here. It's a real pleasure to have you. We're doing well. <laughs> well, it's a long, long day, long week. It's been <laughs> I guess. a lot of technical, technical difficulties <laughs> in, uh, in our podcast world. But uh, diving straight into it, Carlo, tell us a, a bit about your background pre-MBA and, and about yourself personally. Okay. Well, I, I started studying economics. Uh, then I changed to engineering. So I got a little bit of like a financial background, economics background, and you know, more technical background. So, well, I f- did my first interview in Nurse & Young in advisory services, and then I changed to a consumer goods company. Where, where was this? All in Peru, all in, in Peru. Lima, Peru. I, I've lived all my life in, in Lima until the MBA. So uh, then I was like three years in this consumer goods company, and then I changed into a bank because I wanted a more financial role. I wanted to see, you know, work more in finance and work more with uh, financial services. So I worked in corporate banking for a year, and then in investor relations of Credit Corp, which is the biggest financial services holding company in Peru, uh, for like two two more years. And then, well, coming into the MBA, I decided I wanted to, you know, stay a little bit on the financial services industry, but uh, modernize it a little bit because, you know, working in a bank, very, very big bank, very big corporation, you feel a little like uh, claustrophobic in a way because it's very slow, it's like a mammoth. So I thought if I could combine what I like about financial services, but in a more um, dynamic environment, I would be really happy. And I found uh, the fintech industry, which in Peru is really, really uh, unmature, let's say. It's still a baby. But here in Europe is much bigger and in other countries in that time is much bigger. So, so I, th- I thought it was the right path for me and I really enjoyed it when I got to work on it. Did you come to ESA knowing you wanted to continue in fintech? Uh, no, not really. Like, uh, as I said, I knew I wanted something financial like a little bit into consulting maybe, but always in financial services. But I thought as FinTech as something very remote and very far from, from home, let's say, because I had worked in the bank and in Peru, FinTechs are very small or there are almost no FinTechs. Uh, but coming here, I learned a lot about them, especially because of the FinTech club, which I think is great. It's awesome. I learned a lot about FinTech thanks, thanks to them, to our second year directors last year. So uh, then I, well, I learned more, I really liked it, enjoyed it. So I searched for a job in the industry and I was lucky enough to find one. And how did you find one? Just talk us through a little bit of that process and, and how you decided to, well, not decided, but how that process was for you and, and what you did to, to attain your internship. Okay, well, that's actually a very boring story because I just went into simplicity. <laughs> As many years students, I found a job posting, I sent my curriculum and they contacted me contacted me back and I got the job so the, <laughs> the part of looking for the job was really easy I mean not very exciting 
but then the the interview process was very like new like i had done a couple of consulting interviews and uh, they they have you know this case method and you have to you know build a case and really memorize the structures and stuff which is you know, I felt that it was more like a performance than an actually testing of your abilities and capabilities. Like you have to learn how to do things and when to smile, when to not smile, how to say something and how to say it is very performance. It's like a, like an act, you know, it, it doesn't feel much like they're testing your abilities or knowledge, which I didn't really like. But then with this FinTech, it was a complete opposite. The first round was uh, like a fit. A feed interview which was i mean fine like a common feed interview although uh it, it was actually pretty funny because uh they asked me why i wanted to to get into fintech and i i uh, told them about this thing that i really believe that is the democratization of of finance and of financial services like i really believe that banks so so far have all the power and all the information and they monopolize all that all those resources to to really that I don't want to say take advantage, but close to that of their clients, and I really believe that this fintech revolution is going against that and in fighting that, which I think is really really good. So he asked me why I wanted to go into fintech. I I said all this, and as I was saying this, I realized that all the clients of this fintech were banks. So I was like, oh no, what am I saying? I'm going. I mean, I'm I'm tackling their clients like. They're going to kill me. They're going to say me, okay, well, bye, you know? But as, as I, I said, well, I have, I was halfway through. So I said, okay, let's just get done with this. So I just spit it out. And the guy said, well, we actually believe exactly the same thing. Like we also want to democratize uh, finance and finance services and whatever. So I was like, I was like, oof, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mess up. So it was, it was cool. They liked it because, you know, even though their their main clients are, are big banks, they want to go into other stuff. So we can talk more about that. But then, so that was the first round. They really liked me. And the second round was, this is a Mexican company. So they said, okay, pick any fintech company, Mexican fintech company, whichever you want, and pitch it to us. Like do like an investment thesis. Like why would you invest a million dollars in this company? Or make us invest a million dollars in a Mexican fintech. You choose whichever you want. And I actually, uh, you know, I, I think I got the job because of you guys, of the FinTech Club, because I had just seen a presentation here of Belvo. You remember that the Mexican FinTech does all these APIs to integrate the... Mm -hmm. Yes. So, uh, so I pitched them Belvo. I remember the presentation. I, I investigated a little more and they loved it and I got hired thanks to that. So, yeah. I think the FinTech club is great. They they helped me get this job. I mean, not they didn't put me in contact with them, but they gave me the, let's say, the information to pitch Belvo to them, and it worked out very good. That's great. Uh, that's really great. I, I also like the contrast you make of the type of interview. So, what would you make of that interview process? You know, what, what do you, in your mind, uh, how do you judge that interview process? I think it was really cool. Well, it was a lot of work because I had to do like a two-page uh, thesis, let's say, which, when, you know, in two pages you have to be really concise and really put a lot of meat because if, if it's just words, it gets lost. You know, you don't say anything, so you have to be very precise. And, um, and I really liked it because, you know, they are a fintech and they wanted to hire me to do some business development. So when they say, okay, 
pitch me a, a fintech, what they are basically doing is, okay, tell me why that business model or whatever this, these guys that you have found are doing is good. It's good, it's, it's profitable, why you like it, why you think it will work and pitch it to us and tell us your logic behind it. So that, that's actually what I was going to do for them. You know, if I worked for them, what I was going to do was find things out there that I thought were good, that I thought the business could do, the company could do. So it's kind of like they are actually testing what I was going to do and very and going deep into that because they, after the presentation was over, they started uh, asking me a lot of questions regarding the evaluation, regarding the business model, regarding the scalability, regarding the monetization. So it was very good. I think they, they tested exactly what they needed to test in order to assess if I was a good candidate and a good, uh, a good uh, potential employee or a good potential uh, intern. That's great. And I also really liked the first part of that where you kind of fell into being very authentic with them about your feelings in the fintech industry. <laughs> and they appreciated that. And I, I think that's something that many times we, we, we don't appreciate when we go into an interview, we try to be somebody else, but you were just being yourself and they loved it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I, you know, halfway through it, I was like, okay, I completely <laughs> messed up. I'm going to get thrown out of this interview. But it actually worked out, you know, I was honest. I thought I said what I thought. Right. And it, it worked out great. Yeah. So why don't you tell us more about the company itself? What do they do? How do they make money? Who are their clients? Just broadly. Yeah, broadly. Yeah. Okay, so this is a company, it's actually a fintech, but not a startup. This is a kind of old company, it has like 30 or 40 years. And first, okay, before I tell you what they do, I'm gonna tell you a little bit more history about the company. It had uh, changed hands a lot since, since it was founded. And the last uh, owners were like a, like a big conglomerate and they had a lot of businesses and they owned InfoCell, but they didn't do much with it. Like it was like, let's say a cash cow. They were, it had a market, it was making money and they were happy with it and it was cool. So what happened is that a search fund and in Mexico, the, the search fund industry is really big and very dynamic. A search fund actually found the business, saw great potential in it and bought it. So these two very young entrepreneurs, uh, it was a guy, an MBA from Colombia and an MIF from LBS. They, they bought it and now they are managing it and they are like leveraging all their resources to make it grow bigger. So I was working directly with these two guys, now the owner and CEOs. But what the company did is uh, they have this product called the InfoCell Terminal or Terminal InfoCell or InfoCell Financiero. And it's, let's say, like a Bloomberg, like a Bloomberg Terminal, but it, had, it has two main differences with uh, Bloomberg. One is that it has much more depth about the Mexican market. And the other one is that it's way cheaper. So let's say that you're a Mexican bank and you have a trading floor with, let's say, 30 traders you will have one, two or three Bloomberg terminals because they are very expensive, but you could have one uh, InfoCell Financiero or one terminal of, of InfoCell for each trader because it's, it's actually way cheaper and they, it provides really good information. So before these, these guys bought it, it, it had contacts in every bank. You know, they were selling this product to every bank as a service and it was going pretty good, but they were doing nothing with it. So these guys said, okay, we, are, we have this product that is really good. We have this brand that is well known across the financial Mexican market. 
So we can leverage that. You know, we have already the contacts in the van. We can tell them, hey, you know what? Let's uh, do this premium version and we can sell you more. You know, we can upsell it or we can release another product for, I know, not the traders of the bank, but for the clients of the bank and all that. Or also going to another things, you know, like uh, build products for fintechs, for example, no? The Mexican market, the fintech Mexico market, the industry, it's actually growing very fast and uh, it has a lot of potential. And also they were planning to go into other countries in Satam. So it, I, I think they have a very good, uh, good case in their hands of, of like a, what a search fund does, that is like buying something that you think has a lot of more potential, business, do a lot of business development and then sell it in 10 or 15 years. You know, so they were, they were doing that. It was pretty, pretty good. They're doing a pretty good job. And that's why they needed us, the interns, to, do, to really research into other industries or other stuff to see if we could add that to our current uh, value proposition and grow the, the business. What was a typical day like for you? Okay, well, that it was supposed to be very different to what it actually ended up being. So when I did all this process, like this uh, selection process, I was here in Barcelona. This was like in January, like beginning of February. You know, all the things that we have talked about, the presentation and everything. And they gave me the offer to, and the offer included going to Mexico. No? You know, they would pay the, for the tickets to go to, to Mexico and they would pay for my housing, which was pretty cool. I mean, working for a startup, you don't expect them to, to fly over and give you housing and everything. But because they had a, you know, they're actually a search fund, they have more resources because of that, they could do it. So it was, that was pretty cool. And it represented a very, very good opportunity for me because as I said before, I'm Peruvian. I have lived all my life in Lima. I have worked all my life in Lima. Uh, actually being in ES is my first uh, like very big international experience, you know? So now I had, I had the opportunity to complement my Spain and European experience to a Mexican internship. So we was really, really looking forward to it. Unfortunately, COVID hit, you know, COVID happened. And uh, I, well, I was living here in Barcelona, but when the lockdown happened, I decided to go back to Peru, to Lima, to my house, to pass the quarantine over there. And then, you know, Peru also had a lockdown, a pretty big one. The airport was shut, so I couldn't get out of the country, not to come to Barcelona, not to go to Mexico, not to go anywhere. And also Mexico started, started doing pretty bad. So they were also closed. You know, in Ifocel, everybody was working from home. So I talked to them and I said, hey, I think that going to Mexico is going to be a little tough for me. It's going to be a little hard. And also, if I go there, you're still not working in the office. You're all home. So it doesn't make much sense really to go there, even though I, I want it. So, um, so they said, yeah, yeah, you're right. Let's, let's do the remote work. So I was supposed to work from Peru. You know, there was no time difference. Uh, but fortunately, I got on a humanitarian flight just in the first week of my internship to come back to Barcelona. And uh, I was really happy about that because, uh, you know, there were like very, very few flights going out of Peru. In fact, we didn't take off from the regular airport. We, we took off from a military airport. So it was, it was crazy. And uh, well, I, and I talked to the guys, I said, hey, I had this opportunity to leave Peru. I don't know if I am going to be able to, to get another flight. Maybe this is my only opportunity to get back before classes start. So 
what do you say? I go back to Barcelona, I work from, from there. You know that the time difference will be a little harder, but we can make it work. And they said, sure, no problem. They were completely cool about it and completely understood. They, no, they understood. And so I got here and I worked remotely with the time difference, which didn't bother me at all because they were very comprehensive. They, very comprehensive, whatever you say. Uh, they, they always schedule my calls in my afternoon, which was their morning. And I actually, I got only had one call every week to like a follow-up uh, call where I would present all my work to the two CEOs and the uh, head of business development. And they, you know, they would give me feedback. It's like a one hour or one hour and a half call where I would present my presentations and Excel files and whatever. And they would give me some feedback to continue my work. And then I could schedule some calls with some people like the head of the com commercial part or the head, of the head of the technical side to so that they would explain me some stuff that I needed. Uh, but aside from that, they had complete and utter freedom to do whatever I wanted and to schedule my work however I pleased. So I, if I wanted to work on a Sunday, I could. If I wanted to go to the beach on a Wednesday, I could. As long as I had something to, to present on that weekly call, you know. So yeah, so that was my experience. Like a lot of freedom to do whatever I wanted. And also from the, you know, like the content-wise, they were like they gave me a specific rules about what I had to do, but if I wanted to deviate a little bit, or I said, hey, you know, you asked me to look into that, but I've also found this, and I think it worth is it uh, worth looking into? They said, okay, perfect, perfect. I would like it. They were very, very open to every new idea that I could could uh, bring to the table. So I, I love that about it. Like very, very open-minded, which contrasting to a you know a common job in a big bank or whatever, they tend not to be like that. So it was awesome. That part uh, was completely awesome. It sounds like a great corporate culture one yeah. in which they really trust their employees and they want them to be creative. Yeah, yeah. It was a company, you know, like, let's say, uh, run by very, very young people. These guys were like, I don't know, four or five years older than me. I'm 30. So, and you really felt that within the organization. Everybody was very cool. Everybody was open-minded. Everybody was willing to, to be flexible about what they were expecting and you know for one of the things that I wanted I wanted to do was uh, calculate some costs of another fintech of a Chilean fintech actually so I wanted to calculate their their the, how much money they would spend on on salaries so I actually you know I I got somehow in over LinkedIn and stuff I, I found out all the people that work there and out of, with with their LinkedIn profiles, I could see how much how much experience they had, how many years of experience, and their backgrounds and everything. So I put together an Excel file. I sent them to our human resources department, and I told them, "Hey, please estimate how much would this cost? You know, if we wanted to imitate that business, how much would it cost to us in Mexico? Because this company was not in Mexico, and they actually did it, and it was like amazing. Like, and you could see that that." every department of this company which wasn't very big but they were all they had this common goal of really you know changing the financial dynamics or the financial services industry in mexico and really disrupt it and they all shared this common goal so if you ask them to do something that that was way off their common responsibilities of a human resource department they would do you know and they were and they would do the extra mile they would go the extra mile for it. So, so I really liked it, yeah. 
That's awesome. I, I think that's a that's great. It speaks a lot to to MBAs and, and we call it you know what MBAs bring in terms of uh, EQ to business and, and change of culture. So that's fantastic. Um, just just something in a, in a slightly different direction is what surprised you about working at InfoCell and at a fintech in general versus what you might have been expecting. Mm, that's a good question. Working in fintech, I guess I wasn't expecting a much like a so professional environment because even though it was very flexible and everything, the guys were really good. You know, you could feel that these guys really knew what they were doing. And, you know, sometimes when I, when I was working in the bank, I felt like these great bankers and everything still didn't know exactly what they were doing. And that, that's, that's crazy. Like when you get to the, the big leagues, you realize that people that you see, oh, this, this guy might be like so good at what they do. You actually get there and you realize that oh, they're not, maybe that's not the case, you know, <laughs> they're as clueless as you are, as you and me. But these guys in the fintech, they, they do have a vision because I mean, when you're in the bank, you already have something established. And right now, banks are going through this process of trying to be new and trying to be Google, and they have no clue what they're doing. So they have to depend a lot on McKinsey and all these people that are coming with all these crazy ideas to disrupt the industry. And they go here, they go there, but they don't really have a clue where should they go. And you know, a 200-year-old bank now wants to be a software as a service or whatever, like they want to be this to be seen as this new and modern thing and it's very hard for them. You know, and they don't have a clear vision of, or how to implement that vision, you know? But in this FinTech, they do. They actually know what they want to achieve and how they want to be seen and where, do we, where they want to be in five years. And that's, that's very good, you know? So going back to your question, the, the vision that they have from, for themselves and for the industry is much clearer them from established players that want to change, but they don't really know where to go. So that really surprised me, you know, the, the clear vision that the heads of these companies have, at least in InfoSec. What are your thoughts on the trends in the industry right now? Uh, that's a really tough question because I can't really, I mean, I was doing business development, so what I was doing was uh, researching about other, not, not industry, but sub-industries in which the company could go into to, you know, to grow the business. So I can't really talk about that because as you know, there, those are projects that haven't been launched. But uh, what I can say is that unfortunately, I believe, and I think this is a common shared belief, that a lot of the FinTech industry is going towards commoditization. Like services are starting to become commodities and they're starting to compete on prices. So, you know, if you don't differentiate yourself, which is very hard to do right now, they're going to, to die, you know, and they're going to kill each other or they're all ending up merging into one big monster that is more or less what we have right now, you know. So I think that that is somewhere the fintech industry should avoid going. And in order to do that, they should really find a way to differentiate themselves of their competitors, which is really hard because at the end, Financial services, what they sell is more or less money. And money is of a commodity. So it's, it's really hard. It's really hard. So I think that's the biggest challenge for any fintech right now. Like even, uh, I don't know, in the payments industry or in the neo banks. You know, all they offer is a debit, bank, a debit card. They offer the same thing. So, you know, Revolut or N26, they're competing on some value added or, you know, they launch a new product, but then the other guy copies. 
So it's really hard to, to differentiate yourself there. So it only leaves room, room for, for a few players, which ends up being a monopolistic situation and we go back to the same stuff. So yeah, so I think that that's the biggest, the biggest issue facing all the fintech industry. And I think maybe the whole tech world, you know, now that everything is so doable, everything is going to be around costs. So it's, it's going to be hard, but that's a world that we are facing right now where everything is accessible. You can reach everywhere with the internet. So yeah, I think that's where we're going. And regarding InfoCell, I think that, well, they have some resources that they can leverage to avoid that, like the contacts in the banks and the brand, but they have to do a really good work regarding the product and the product development in order to really be something else. Like for example, if they want to do, I don't know, a checking account or whatever, or let's say a trading platform or whatever, Okay, but what do you bring to the table that Robinhood doesn't, you know? And if not, then what, you're just going to be cheaper than Robinhood, but Robinhood is already like free, right? So what are you bringing in? Like, so that, that's hard. That's going to be very hard to, to attain. Right, right. What recommendation would you give yourself one year ago today, when you were a first year? I would say that when I was starting, I was really going into conservative sectors. Like I went through the whole consulting prep and just because I wanted to get something safe with a good paycheck and whatnot. But then I actually experienced, because I didn't get it, I went into, into FinTech, even though that's what I really wanted because I only wanted consulting because of the safety that it provided, but it wasn't my passion or anything like that. So when I actually got something that I really liked and I got to work on that, I found that really rewarding and I had a, a great summer which I don't think I would have had if I had actually gone into consulting. And, you know, going through the whole consulting prep and stressing over it was very hard. You know, it's a very, like, uh, let's say, emotional, exhausting process, which is horrible. And a lot, of, a lot of people who are listening to this have gone through that and know what I'm talking about. So what I would say is to my first year self is just relax. Really think what you're doing. Think if you want to go into this. And if you don't get it, it's not the end of the, of, of the world. There are a lot of opportunities. You know, I got my, my offer before COVID even, and I was already stressing out and thinking that I had no chances of getting a job. I was going through a really tough time. And I actually got a job like with four months to go to the, to the summer. Like a lot of people got an offer like two weeks or three weeks before the, the summer. So there was nothing really to worry about. You know, there's a lot of opportunities a lot of opportunities for MBA students and especially a lot of opportunities for ES MBA students. So just chill, you'll find something, but also work hard, you know, prepare yourself. If you want something, you got to work for it, prepare for it. I, it. For me, it was like doing this presentation that I told you to, to get that this job was tough. It required a lot of research, but I did it. I did it good. So that's why I got the job. And I think that's what I will tell myself. What I will tell myself, you know, work hard. If you find something that you think is worthwhile and go for it. And if you don't get it, don't stress over it. There's a lot of other opportunities. And you know, how many FinTech internships were last year? Like how many did we have? Like 20? 20, more than 20. More than 20, okay. So yeah. if you don't get one, you get another one, you know? It's chill, just chill. Don't stress over something that is not worth it. That's great. That's a that's that's calm, wise advice. Yeah, <laughs> from because, a, a year older. Year. <laughs> yeah, because I you know February was horrible for me. 
So yeah, I uh, I, I I can I can empathize with some of those feelings. <laughs> I, uh, I bet. Uh, so thinking, uh, last question we'd like to ask our guests is just how do you stay on top of the industry? You know, what do you read right now? Now that you're you've been baptized into fintech, <laughs> you know, what do you stay? What do you read to stay up to date? Whether it's a blog, newsletters, podcasts, are there what do you or books that you recommend that you read over the summer or before the internship, uh, or things that you're looking at now that make you feel like you're on top of trends or ideas that that you like to recommend? Well, that's a really tough question. I'm not really into, you know, reading a lot of papers and stuff or uh, newspapers. But what I would recommend, of course, is this podcast. <laughs> Very good. I strongly suggest you follow it. And then, well, what I do actually, it may sound a little uh, stupid, but I just follow the ESF FinTech WhatsApp group. FinTech Club WhatsApp group. And you guys, especially you two, are very active <laughs> in that group. You post a lot of news and some other people do as well. And I re- try to read all that, and I think that's very good. I mean, I think I don't add much in that group, but I think other people do, and I benefit from that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's what I do. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm not really into researching a lot, especially because I don't know where I, what I'm gonna do after the MBA, especially because this whole fintech sector for me is gonna be tough to follow after the MBA if I go back to Peru because it's very, very immature in Peru. So I don't know what I'm gonna do after the, the internship still, so I'm a little bit into everything. I'm not specializing into FinTech, but if I did, it would be really cool. Like if I end up in, in FinTech or whatever, I would love it because I think it's a great sector. But with, uh, you know, being precautious and cautious about what I said about, you know, that everything could turn into commodity. So, uh, so yeah, that's it. Like, just follow this podcast and the ESA WhatsApp <laughs> FinTech Club group, which I think is amazing. It's a great shout out for ESA <laughs> FinTech Club. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think it's great. Man, thanks to them, I got my internship. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time, Carlo. It was a pleasure talking with you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Stay tuned. Until next time. See ya.